Take your Bibles with me this morning to John 13. John 13. We're going to be in verses 18 through 30 this morning. The title of the message this morning is Jesus, Judas, and John. Jesus, Judas, and John. And these are the three that we're going to look at today in these verses. Jesus being the main purpose of every sermon, <laughs> every, uh, he's the center of the will, he is the, he is the crux of all of eternity. History is his story. I want you to remember that. Everything revolves around Jesus. And, um, that's what we endeavor to do at this church. That's why we've kind of narrowed down our activities to focus on worship, focus on the truth of the Word of God, to focus on prayer and pursuing Jesus. <clears throat> but this morning we're going to unpack these verses. And <clears throat> if you're here visiting this morning, we're so thankful. I met a, a couple of gentlemen from uh, Vesalia in the first service. And, you know, last week it was people from England and people visit all the time. And we, we're thankful that you have come to visit uh, Westside today. Our pastor's on vacation, usually takes it in August. So we want to encourage you to come back. He'll be back either the first or second week of September. And uh, he'll be teaching through the book of Revelation, and I'm teaching through the gospel of John when I preach, and uh, he's teaching through Revelation, and it's been, um, man, it's been eye-opening, it's been an encouragement, Revelation has been, and but I'm, I'm thankful when we get to kind of park it a little bit, because that's a lot to soak up, right? <clears throat> and John, he's, he's kind of like, I think I would be, just simple. He's kind of, even though John is the author of Revelation, too, <laughs> um, in his gospel, He's probably one of the most detailed, other than Luke, but he focuses on, on the main thing, I believe, which is Jesus and that relationship with him. But we're going to look at it this morning. Starting in verse 18, Jesus is speaking. He says, I do not speak concerning all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you it before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am He. Now remember, His audience is the disciples. They're in the upper room. He had just washed their feet. Verse number 20 says, Most assuredly, I say to you, He who receives whomever I send receives me. And he who receives me receives him who sent me. When Jesus had said these things, He was troubled in spirit. And testified and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then the disciples looked at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore motioned to him to ask him who it was whom he spoke. Then leaning back on Jesus' breast, he said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is he whom I shall give a piece of bread when it is dipped. And he dipped the bread and gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Then Jesus said to him, what you do, do quickly. But no one at the table knew for what reason he said this to him. For some thought that because Judas had the money box that Jesus had said to him, that he should give something to the poor. 
Having received the piece of bread, he then went out immediately, and it was night. Pick up the scene in the upper room. Jesus with the twelve. And the picture we get in the verses we just read and that we're going to unpack this morning is Jesus is reclining after having a meal with his disciples. To his right would be John. John the beloved. And he, he calls himself the disciple who Jesus loved. And John is close as he could possibly be to Jesus. He loved Jesus. We know John had an intimacy with Jesus that others in the disciple group did not experience. But to his left, there was Judas. Judas was the one in the group who would betray him, the one unbeliever in the twelve. And he found himself close to Jesus at the table. And I find it very telling that Judas had a position amongst the disciples. He had uh, respect amongst the disciples. He was the treasurer among the disciples. And he looked the part. He, he said the right things. And he, 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 he was no doubt uh, similar to the others in the group. But yet, even though he had the appearance, he had no relationship with Jesus. And I've been just challenged by that this week because... I believe that even people in a church like this one, a thriving church where God is moving, you could come to a church like this and you could be enamored with Jesus. You could be a fan of Jesus. You see, the world even acknowledges Jesus. They think he's a good figure. They think he's someone who we can model our lives after. You see, uh, we've seen the signs, Jesus is my homeboy. You know, we see those type of things all the time, right? The world doesn't necessarily uh, resist Jesus the figure, but I'm telling you there's a difference between liking Jesus and having a relationship with Jesus. Intimacy with Jesus. And I want to just park there in the beginning of this sermon and ask us all the question, uh, will Jesus say to us, depart from me, I know you not. You look, I can tell you I know Michael Jordan this morning, I do. I know his stats. I, I, I would say that I, I've studied his career. Um, you know, I wear his shoes and, and you know, I, I look up to him. I think he's the GOAT. Don't argue with me about LeBron. No, it's not even close. Kobe's before LeBron. Let's be real. Anyhow, I don't care how many points he scored. <laughs> but I can say I know Michael Jordan. But if we ask Michael Jordan if he knew who Abram Thomas is, chances are he's going to say, absolutely not. I don't know him. Who is he? What has he done? I'm afraid that some people are going to get to the end of their life or when Jesus returns, they're going to say, Lord, Lord, and he's going to say, depart from me. I know you not, you worker of iniquity. And they'll be cast out. They'll be dismissed from his presence for all of eternity, and it's a sobering thing. You see, because Jesus spoke about this. He, he oftentimes talked about eternity. He talked about that last day. He talked about when he would return with his holy angels, and when he would divide the sheep from the goats. That day is coming. You see, we've got to understand, and the Bible tells us, 
to work out our salvation, not work for our salvation, but work out our salvation. Search the scriptures for in them ye know if ye have eternal life. You see, if our lives don't add up to what the scripture says, if we have not placed our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the chances of us getting to heaven are none. There is no one who's going to slip in. He's the door. He is the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by Jesus. And I want to just tell us from the beginning, hey, be careful. We live in a nation that was once known as a Christian nation. Every one of us have some type of Christian influence around us or, or, or been in a church. And But do we know Jesus is the question. Is He our Lord, our Savior? So Jesus is in the room and John is here and Judas is on His left. I want you to notice what Jesus is doing in this setting. First of all, Jesus, He's going to prophesy. We sometimes forget that Jesus was prophetic. <coughs> Excuse me. That oftentimes He would prophesy things. He would speak them. He would uh, foretell things. And this is what that is saying, that He was going to uh, tell them something, the disciples, something that had not unfolded yet, but He was going to tell them beforehand. We're going to see in the Scripture, He says in verse 18, I know who I have chosen. Jesus is talking in specifically in this statement about Judas. Remember before in the verses, the last time we were uh, studying John, he told the other disciples that you are all clean. As he washed their feet, he said, you guys are all clean. But he said, not all of you, not all of you are clean. And he's going to continue along that thought here in verse 18. He says, I do not <clears throat> speak concerning all of you. I know who I have chosen. He knew that he had chosen a devil among them, Judas the betrayer. He also is going to confirm that Scripture prophesied this centuries before it happens, that the Messiah will be betrayed in this manner, someone close to him. And Jesus quotes Scripture. Now I want you to see it. He says, He who eats bread with me has lifted up his heel against me. Jesus is quoting Psalm 41 here in verse 9. I love it when Jesus quotes Scripture. It gives Scripture validity. It reinforces the reliability of Scripture. You know that the Bible is where we find our theology, is where we get to know God, where we get to know truth. And it is what we base our lives upon. We base our eternity upon what we know about Jesus that we found in Scripture. And so He is giving credence. He's giving validity to the Old Testament as He quotes Psalm 41.9. But I want you to... Get the picture though. David is the one who penned that verse. And David was talking about when he was betrayed by a trusted close companion by the name of Ahitrophel. You We remember the story in the Old Testament when David's son, Absalom, tried to overthrow him and, and cause the, re, the revolt and, and take his place as king of Israel. And Ahitrophel once was David's servant, once was David's close companion, 
He chose to follow Absalom and it hurt him. He betrayed David. So Jesus is quoting this. This was prophetic. When David penned it, he was dealing with his situation, but it had also another meaning, a future meaning. We know Christ is the root and the branch of David. David is a type of Christ in the Bible. And so this is so important that we understand that prophecy, this prophecy is fulfilling one of many concerning Jesus Christ. Judas would betray Jesus in a way that only someone close to him could. Jesus loved Judas. He'd spent three and a half years with them. Jesus extended so much grace to Judas, yet Judas rejected him. Some of you know what that feels like. Someone close to you betrays your trust, hurts you. It usually hurts more when someone close to you hurts you, right? There's something different about it. And betrayal is something that at some point each and every one of us are going to face in our lives. But I was encouraged and I was challenged as I thought about this, preparing for this message. Jesus knew from the very beginning what Judas would do, yet he treated him with grace. How did Jesus treat Judas? He loved Judas. And I want to encourage us. There are going to be people who hurt us, some unintentionally, some very intentionally. We've got to pray for the grace of God in our lives to extend love and forgiveness and grace to those people. We've got to ask God to give us his heart for those who would abuse and and misuse us, those who would stab us in the back, those who would uh, not want our best interests at their hearts. Uh, We've got to see how Jesus is. And and I'm telling you, the only way that this happens is through supernatural enabling of the Spirit. You see, because when someone doesn't like me, I don't really like them in myself, right? In my flesh. Oh, it happens to me all the time. I've been slipping. I've been, God convicted me of this. You know, I, I was playing pickup basketball the other week and there was this guy who just was, was hacking me, like just not even trying to pretend like he was competing. He was just hacking me. And I got in my flesh for a moment. And I, I, I hit him. I was backing him in the post and I hit him kind of hard. He kind of flew. And immediately I was convicted. <laughs> See, when someone hits us, we want to hit them back harder. You know, I've been trying to teach my kids how to show each other grace and <laughs> because they'll hit each other real quick and the other will hit each other. I mean, it's just, it's our nature, right? It's our nature. So we've had, we have to ask God to give us His Spirit so that when we are hurt, when we are squeezed, when things happen to us, we don't respond with the same energy. We respond in grace. And Jesus, He's the perfect example of this, isn't He? He's perfection. Not only did He love Judas, but He protected Judas. He'd made, uh, he'd made references to this before, but He never exposed Judas before He will here in just a moment. Now I'm telling someone today, hey, if you're in an abusive situation, that's different. I'm not telling you to remain in an abusive situation maybe with a spouse or others. And 
I'm not telling you to just to to allow that to continue in a sense. You see, grace is one thing. Enabling is another thing. Forgiveness is one thing. Trust is another thing. Trust is earned. Trust, you, you, if, if someone has proven that they are going to harm you emotionally, physically, uh, you have to take note of that. And, and you've got to, you've got to protect yourself. You've got to do what I believe God would have you to do and, and to pursue help in that matter. But I'm telling you, uh, what Jesus was doing here with Judas is he was protecting him from, I believe, the other disciples. You remember Peter had a sword. What did he do to Malchus? We talked about it before. When the, when the guards came to get Jesus that night after Judas told them where they would be, Peter drew the sword out the sheath, right? And he cut off Malchus's ear. And I think if Jesus would have said, hey, Peter, it's Judas. <laughs> I think Peter would have been like, (laughs) bye-bye. So Jesus is protecting him in a sense, showing grace. And I want to tell us today, we've been extended so much grace by God. So we should be the number one grace extenders. We should be the most loving people on the planet. The most patient people on the planet. Now, as I mentioned ago, it's not going to come naturally. It's going to come supernaturally. This is why we must pray. This is why we must fast. This is why we must spend time in Jesus' presence. Because that's where we are formed into His likeness. That's where we are challenged and we are filled with His Spirit so that we can live out what we've been called to live out. But Judas, he is going to do something that is beyond comprehension. He's going to betray Jesus, the one who loved him, the one who protected him, the one who extended a lot of grace to him. Now, Jesus knew what Judas would do beforehand, but I want to be careful to explain to us all that he did not compel him to do it. You see, we believe in this church, we believe that God has made us in his image. He has given us the ability to choose, right? He's given us a free will. God placed Adam and Eve in the garden. He also placed the tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? But he gave them a command. He gave them a choice. He gave them the ability to choose. And and they chose wrong. We know how the story has played out. But what God has always done with, with humanity is He's given us the ability to make our decisions, to make our choice, to have a free will. He, he did not create Judas to do what he did. Judas chose to do what he did, what he would soon do. And, and God is aware of it. God is outside of time. He knows who's going to choose Him, and He knows who's going to reject Him. He knows in this room those who will be saved and those who will reject Him. And I'm telling you, this is what He's saying. He says, I do not, I don't speak concerning all of you, but I know who I've chosen. I know. God knows. I want you to get this picture. Jesus prophesied. But I want you to see, not only does He prophesy, Jesus, he, He's preparing the disciples for something. 
Look at verse 19. It says, Now I tell you before it comes, that when it does come to pass, you may believe that I am He. His purpose in telling the disciples beforehand was to reinforce their faith. No doubt this would be a traumatic night when Jesus is is betrayed by Judas, taken away, brought to that mock trial, beaten, buffeted, and then crucified. Just hours away from him going through these things. He's telling them, hey, I'm telling you that this is going to happen beforehand to prepare you so that you know that I am He. Jesus wanted His disciples to be faithful. He wanted Him to know that even though Judas was unloyal, even though Judas would betray Him, that Judas nor the devil would win, that it was not over yet. Even after they saw him taken away in custody, even after they saw him hang on a cross and bleed and die, Jesus was saying to them, I am in authority. It is not over even when you see me take my last breath. I want to tell somebody this. I've read the end of the book. The book. I know the end of the story. And even though it looks like all hell it is progressing in our nation. Even though it looks like darkness is going to prevail in this nation and this world, I want you to know that King Jesus will prevail. He has already prevailed. And one day, He will rule and reign on this literal earth. He's coming. And He's telling this to the disciples. He's telling them of the coming event so that they could be encouraged. Darkness won't win, you guys. I want to remind somebody, like we sung ago, he makes the darkness tremble. You see, the devil is scrambling right now. He knows his time is short. And I want to tell you, the same uh, intensity that the the enemy and, and those who serve him are working with, We should be matching and exceeding that because we are on the winning side. We say it often from the pulpit. We serve the King of Kings. And all of the devils in hell cannot stop the church of the living God. I say it every week. I feel like the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of the living God. What did he say to Peter? He says, upon this rock... Oh, I'm about to preach this morning. We serve the rock of ages. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it, Peter. And I want you to know what he was saying was, Peter, you're little rock. You're the pebble. But I am the rock of ages. And upon me, upon my soon death on the cross, upon my resurrection from the dead, hey, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'm telling you, what the government might say, what what Bill Gates might do, it will not prevail against the church of the living God. Somebody this morning needs to hear that. That's why we preach. That's why we still witness. That's why we're still gathering. That's why we're going to serve the King of Kings because He's promised us. That He'd be with us. He told us to go. He will soon tell these disciples to go. 
into all the world. But he said, I will be with you. Oh, I'm so thankful I'm not up here alone. I'm so thankful you are not alone. When you go into Northrop tomorrow, you are not alone. You're his representative. He is with you. Remember that. We don't see in the physical. We live and we see with spiritual discernment. We know that he's going to win. Jesus was telling them beforehand so that they would know that his work would continue with them as his representatives, even after all of the things that would play out in the next few hours would happen. And I want to tell you guys, the prophecies in the Bible are there to strengthen our faith as well. As I mentioned before, how when Jesus quotes the Bible, that, that adds validity to it. But you know, another factor I was thinking about this week that adds validity, that that lets us know that we have a sure foundation uh, is the prophecies of, throughout the Bible. There are over 2,500 prophecies in the Bible, 2,000 of which have already been fulfilled. Listen to that. 2,000 of which have already been fulfilled. There's some 500, most of them dealing with His second coming that have yet to be fulfilled. When we think about Jesus, there are over 300 prophecies of Him and His first coming. Every single one of them were fulfilled. The likelihood of this happening is an astronomical number if we were to look at the odds. And I want you to get it. What Jesus was saying, I'm telling you beforehand so that you know I'm He. He said, I'm the Christ. I'm the One. I am the only One. And what I'm telling you is true. You're going to see it play out. And I want it to reinforce your faith. I want someone today to leave here charged up because you serve Jesus. He, he was the greatest man who ever walked on this earth. He's the greatest man in history. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. You see, he had no servants, yet they called him master. He had no degree, yet they called him teacher. He had no medicines, yet they called him healer. He had no army, yet kings feared him. He won no military battles, yet he conquered the world. He did not live in a castle, yet they called him Lord. He ruled no nations, yet they called him king. He committed no crimes, yet they crucified him. He was buried in a tomb. Yet he lives today. And I want to tell somebody today, he lives. He lives. He lives. And he is the one. You need not go to anyone else. Like Peter said, he said, Lord, you alone have the words of eternal life. Where else are we going to go? Oh, I can tell you right now, if you're looking to Muhammad, I can take you over to where he's buried and his body, his remains is still there. Or if you're trusting in Buddha, I can take you to where his remains is. But the one whom I preach about this morning, if we took a trip, a field trip to Israel, and we looked and we found that empty too, it would still be empty because he is alive. He's risen from the grave. And that's who we serve. He couldn't be conquered by death, the grave, or hell. He conquered them all. So I'm not just up here as some cheerleader. I'm preaching 
facts. I'm preaching. There's been 500 plus witnesses that saw Jesus resurrected. He showed himself alive for 40 days by many infallible proofs. Oh, Thomas held him. Oh, Peter ate with him on the shore. I'm telling you, why were these men who were scattered before, who left running afraid when he was arrested? Why a few days later were they boldly preaching in the streets? Why a few days later was Peter willing to be crucified upside down? Why is it that their faith was reinforced? Because they saw him with their eyes. They saw the risen Savior. And I'm telling you, have any of you seen Jesus? I've experienced him. I may have not laid eyes on him, but I've felt him. I've experienced him. I've seen his hand. I know he's alive. I talked to him this morning. And I want to encourage you to not walk out of here defeated because he's alive. He's alive. We serve the one who can say, I am he. I'm the dude. The kids today say, oh, he's him. He's Timothy. No, there's only one of him. It's Jesus. He's the one. I want you to see, it goes on, verse number 20. He says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who receives whomever I send receives me. And he who receives me or receives him who sent me. So Jesus is going to send these men out. And he's telling to them, he's declaring to them that those who receive them on his behalf are receiving him. I want you to get this. When we witness, we are His representatives. And those who reject us, they're rejecting Him. And so let's not take it, let's not take it so personally when people reject the truth of the gospel. Let's not get in our feelings and say, you know what, I'm not going to share it anymore. <laughs> you know, I've been there. It's uncomfortable, right? It's not, it's not easy. But I want to remind us that we are called to be His representative. And there are some who will receive. There are some who will come to faith. There are some that we will plant that seed and it will come to pass. It will come to bloom. And I'm, I'm just encouraging somebody. There's some soul winners in this church. I see people out here who are here because someone at a bank from this church invited them one time. Someone... Uh, works with them, their co-worker. They, I, I see it. I, I remember. I, there's people who I've baptized, who I've seen people bring them in the church. Say, hey, this is my friend, and man, she wants to be back. I'm telling you, like, there's no way that Pastor Shane or I can 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 influence the amount of people that you guys can influence. And I want to encourage you. The devil, he's he's. <laughs> He's screaming loud from the mountaintops right now. He's doing everything he can. I think that we should be busy about getting the gospel out in this time, in this dark time. We've got to be focused. We've got to be on mission, church. I'm telling you, it isn't as hard as we make it to to be out to be. You see, just be yielded to God. And when he tells you to speak, open your mouth. It's that simple. Tell somebody what Jesus has done for you. How he saved you. We got testimonies in this church. People coming out of Satanism. People coming, uh, you know, from suicidal uh, tendencies. I'm telling you, we have every testimony you can think about. And sometimes those are the main ones 
who are, are about his business and God uses them. But I want you to see, Jesus says, those who receive you, receive me. And those who receive me, receive my Father who sent me. See, the, this is it. There's a lot of false belief systems that want to put Jesus out of the equation. They want to just talk about the Father. But there is no way to the Father. There's only one way to the Father, and that's through Jesus. There's no one who can come to a holy God apart from Jesus as their Savior. I want you to get that this morning. So Jesus, that's just the first point. Jesus, <laughs> I could preach about Jesus all day. I love him. I know you guys love him. It's fun to preach to you guys about Jesus. Jesus, he's prophesying here. He tells the disciples what's going to happen, how he's going to be betrayed. But he's also preparing. He's, a, he's the good shepherd, right? He's the greatest pastor there ever was. He's preparing them for what's to come. And he uh, prepares them. But I want to see next, we're going to look at John. We're going to look at John. We're going to look at verse 20. Let me back up. I'm going to skip two verses. (laughs) Look at verse 21. We're going to finish, wrap up Jesus, then we're going to get into John. Verse 21, it says, When Jesus had said these things, he was troubled in his spirit. And he testified and said, most assuredly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Here we get a glimpse at Jesus and his humanity. He was a human, right? 100% God, 100% man. And he experienced what we experience. Like you and I would be grieved. He was grieved about what was going to take place here shortly. He felt it in his core. He was bothered by what Judas would do, how he would betray his love and his friendship. In his, hum- in his human side, he felt it, emotions. I, 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 I marvel at Jesus for so many reasons, but we see his emotions. He was what you call an emotionally healthy individual. <laughs> he wept. But he also went to weddings. He rejoiced with the disciples. He had meals with the disciples. He was balanced. Jesus shows us what it is to be a, a human. He's, he's more human. He, he, he displayed what it is to be a human better than any other person who ever walked the planet. And he's hurting. And I know every time that I preach, I'm, I'm preaching to people who are hurting. And that's why we pray. This is what we pray. We pray to comfort the afflicted, Lord. We also pray to afflict the comfortable. <laughs> Those people who are just just coasting through life and uh, not pursuing God. But I want to tell you, Jesus is close to the brokenhearted. If you're, you came in this morning, you barely got here, you're brokenhearted, Jesus knows. And he loves you. And that's why he gave us the comforter. We're going to see it in John 14. He sent his Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God. One of his main ministries in your life and in my life is to comfort us. This week I I reached out to a friend who I felt 
hurt me and I did nothing and you know that I'm aware of. But God put it on my heart to text and say, if I hurt you in any way, and if I did anything, I apologize. Please forgive me. And uh, it was crickets on the other end. <laughs> no response. And it hurt a little bit more. It hurt. But the Holy Spirit comforted me. The Holy Spirit comforted me. Say, you did what I told you to do. And the Bible says that we should live peaceably amongst each other as much as is on us to do so. We, the best that we can, okay? And I want to tell somebody, maybe you're hurt, someone hurt you, and you feel like you're, you're still waiting. It's been ten years. You're still waiting for them to apologize. I want to tell you, you apologize. You try to make peace. Hey, don't come bring your gift to the altar if you, you're not right with your brother. Hey, don't think that you, your prayers are going to have much momentum if you're harboring unforgiveness. And I know in a room this size, someone walked in here today, someone hurt you deeply. I'm encouraging you I'm, to give it to the Lord. And let Him do what He can do with it. But I'm not telling you you won't feel it. I'm, I'm not telling you you won't feel it. Jesus felt this. And this is what I want to tell you. I've been around some hyper um, holy Christians who say, brother, if you're still feeling something, man, you're, you're not right with God. Well, Jesus felt something. He felt the hurt. He felt the pain. He grieved over things. He cried. I'm telling you, that's not biblical. We're not robots. We are made in His image. God gave us emotions. I'm thankful God gave me emotions. I'm thankful when I, when I see, when my babies were born, I cry. I'm thankful for the emotions. I'm thankful I can love my wife. I'm thankful for those, those God-given emotions. And that's because we are made in His image. Jesus was troubled in the Spirit. No doubt he was grieving over Judas as well. He loved Judas. He knew what Judas would face shortly after he would betray him. He knew the future that awaited Judas. Oh, some of you know what it's like. Maybe you live with an unsaved spouse. You have kids who are wayward, who are rejecting the grace of God. And it wakes you up at night. It causes you to cry tears every week in the prayer room. We pray for people right in this position whose hearts are hurting. And I believe this is what Jesus was experiencing. And I want to warn someone today. Continual rejection of the grace of God, it leads to a hard heart. You can get to the point where you reject God enough where there's no reversing course. And I don't know when that happens. I'm not God. But obviously, Judas, we're going to see in a moment, he got to the point of no return. He got to the point where he would not reverse course and maybe it was because of his pride. You know what sends people to hell? It isn't that they lie, steal, cheat, sleep around, do drugs and all these things. It's pride. Rejection of Jesus Christ. I want you to get that picture. It's pride. There are going to be people in the church who are too prideful to admit I'm lost. Oh, I hope I don't get in trouble <clears throat> for sharing this. And I apologize in, in advance, but we had two people baptized in the first service. Well, three total, excuse me. And one of the dear ladies, she, she emailed me this week. She said, for six years, 
I've been resisting. And God's been convicting me. And just this week, he said to me, I feel like God was saying to me, if you reject me, when, again, when I come, I'm going to say depart from you. So she, text, she emailed me. And I said, when God speaks, you, you, you should respond. And we filled up the baptistry. Not only did she get baptized, but her husband. And I asked her husband, I said, hey, is this your first time? He's like, yes. I'm just like, I'm just telling someone today, I don't know who I'm speaking to. I don't know who will hear this message online later down the line. But if Jesus is drawing you, if you feel that burn, oh, you know what I'm talking about, that burn in your heart. It's the Holy Spirit of God saying, that's what you need. You need a relationship with Jesus Christ. You need salvation or else. You will never. Christians, we gotta get back to, 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 to weeping over lost sinners. Weeping. I'm telling you, some of you in your prayer life, ask God to break your heart for what breaks Him. You started weeping for your lost loved ones again. The Bible says, though that so in, they that sow in tears will doubtless reap and harvest. They will reap a harvest. The Bible spoke about Jesus. He was moved with compassion on those who were like sheep without a shepherd. He cried over Jerusalem. And I, I, I tell you, we've lost our cry in the church. Like Pastor preached a few weeks ago, where are the weepers? It doesn't matter to you. The people right over this hill, people in our neighborhood, God's convicted me about it. People I need to talk to. People who I need to share the good news with. So I want to just encourage us to ask the Lord to, to do something in our hearts again. It's okay to be troubled. See, it's okay. We've gotten to the point where we think that every day we just got to be Entertained and, and, and pleasure. We got we, we, we can't ever have a moment or a season of, uh, of just reflection or, or just prayer and seeking God and not just running from event to event and doing things. I mean, we're so busy about things that won't matter. We've got to get back on it. Bible talks about it. Jesus, Matthew 24, he says, that lawlessness would abound in the last days and that the love of many would grow cold. Oh, is your love grown cold? The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says, But this know that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, Blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, Judas, 
headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Listen to this, though. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. These are people who go to church. They have a form of godliness. They have a form of, listen to me, this isn't the heathen who never dons the door of a church, who never speaks the name of God. This is what Timothy was telling, what Paul was telling Timothy, that what the church would be like, and they'd be even pastors who would go creeping from house to house, entertaining simple women. And I'm telling you, we see it happening today. May it not be said of us here at Westside that we live in such a manner that we fall into this category, denying the power thereof. Let me tell you, if your Christianity has no power to change how you live on Monday, it's not worth you coming on Sunday. I'm going to say it again. If my Christianity or your Christianity has no bearing on how we're going to live Monday through Saturday, then it's not even worth it. Why, why even come? Just live in the world. Just do what you want. Pursue pleasure. Go do what you want to do because it's worthless. It makes no difference in the world. And that's what we're seeing happen in America. We're seeing the, the, the cease, uh, listen to me. We're seeing the decaying of America because we don't have a Christianity that can preserve it. We can ask God to do a work in us. Verse 23, Jesus, well, verse 21, Jesus is troubling his spirit, and then he says that one of them will betray them. The disciples are perplexed. Verse 22 says they don't, they looked at one another like, who is it? But I want you to see, now we're going to get into John. We see Jesus, but we're going to look at John. Verse 23, now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. I want you to see John's position. He's leaning on Christ. He's close to Jesus. Hey, let me ask you a question. Has there been a time in your life when you've been closer to Jesus than you are today? I think we're all honest. Yeah. Well, John here in the text, he's close to Jesus, not just in his proximity, but I believe in his heart. See, we're as close to God as we want to be this morning. If God is a priority in our life, if, if, if we pursue him first, like the Bible says we should, then we will, we will have that closeness with him. We'd have the uh, the awareness of him in all things. We, we would experience him in a way that John experienced Jesus. He wanted to be close to him. You know, it's one thing to want to be close to him. Some of us, we are okay with following him from afar off because we still want to party. We're okay with following him from afar off because we still want that relationship. We still want to sleep with our girlfriend. We still want to, you fill in the blank, we still want to go to Vegas with our boys. 
We still want, we still want to be in the world. We still want to have one foot in the world and one foot in the church. See, it's okay, uh, for some of you, you, you don't mind that you only pray once a week. You don't mind that you never hear the Holy Spirit speak to you. You don't mind that you don't have any souls in the kingdom because God used you. You don't mind that you have no treasures laid up in heaven. It doesn't bother you just as long as you're saved, just as long as you're going to get in by the skin of your teeth. You're okay with just mediocrity with your Christian life. I'm not okay with that. John wasn't okay with that. Do you understand that within the twelve there was an inner circle? There were those who were closer. (laughs) We understand none of us is going to do this perfectly. John didn't do it perfectly. But he was in pursuit of closeness with Jesus. Let me ask you this morning, where are we at? If we were to do inventory of our hearts, where are we at with Jesus? Where are we at? Are we like what Peter will be in a little bit? (laughs) Peter's going to stumble in a moment. He's going to deny Christ three times. And there's a funny statement made in that, in those verses. It says, Peter, he followed Jesus from afar off. <laughs> he, he, when Jesus was in the court, when he was being, you know, taken by those guards, Peter, he didn't leave him completely. The Bible says he followed from afar off. He, he wasn't ready to identify with him and go die with him. But he was, from afar off, he still loved Jesus. And I know there's some in here that are, you're struggling right now. And I'm not here to, beat you while you're down because I'm down often. <laughs> they don't think we have it all together because we preach. I don't think the devil doesn't come knocking at my door. The old life, the old things, the old desires, I fight my flesh every single day, hour by hour. You don't think those, you know, I see my friends posting and they're they're partying, they're living it up. It looks like they're having a lot of fun. You don't think that that every now and then says, you know, it would be a lot easier than dealing with you filling the blank. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just like you guys. I'm a, I'm a mess apart from Jesus. But let me tell you, when we pursue Jesus, when we get close to Him, He changes us. You can't be close to Jesus and be unchanged. I know Judas is in the picture here. Let me tell you, Judas is an unbeliever. But if you are a believer, if you have faith in Christ and you are pursuing Him, you are you know what it looks like to pursue Him, right? You know what it looks like to seek Jesus and His kingdom. You know and I know what it looks like and we know what it's like when we stray. But when we are in pursuit of Jesus, I'm not saying it's going to be all hunky-dory, easy-peasy, lemon-squeezy. I'm not saying it's going to be that. But what I'm saying is He's going to be working in us. His glory is going to be present in our life in some way. He's going to be refining us. He's going to be cleansing us of our... He's going to be doing a work. And we're not going to be perfect, but we're going to be going the right direction. Hey, I've never backslidden when I was 
on my knees. I never backslidden when I was worshiping, when I was in my word. But it's always when I get afar off, when I miss a few days, when the prayer closet gets neglected. And before you know it, I can't really hear his voice. And so when the temptation comes, man, I, f- I failed. Then I got to come crawling back. <laughs> but I want to tell someone, you can crawl back today. He He's waiting with open arms. Hey, I don't care how far you drifted. He loves you. He wants to be close to you. You don't have to clean up before you come. You go to him and he cleans you up. Oh, I love fishing. And um, I got to go with Jason. He's back there. I got to go. We got to go again. But last time he took me, he's not hes not a very good guy. We didn't get any fish. I'm just messing. <laughs> I'm just messing. I'm teasing. But I've never cleaned a fish that I haven't caught. I'm telling you, when Jesus is, when you come to Jesus, whether it be for the very first time in salvation or when you come back in repentance as a believer, He'll clean you up. He'll, He'll clean that dirt off of you. Just like my kids, you know, I see them running. I got one kid that likes to run off and always trips and gets dusty, dirty, scraped up and wants to cry. You know what I do? I'll say, you know what? You stay down there. I told you not to run. No, I go over, pick her up. I, I, Daddy did tell you not to run, though. And I dust them off. And I kiss the boo-boo. If it was, if it was a girl, if it was a boy, I say, hey, man up. <laughs> Come on. I'm not raising the system. I'm just <laughs> When they're smaller, I kiss the boo-boos, you know, boys too. And I say, Come on. You know, I'm teaching my kids how to ride bikes. They fail, you know. And I just had no. Come on, let's get let's get back up. And I'm telling you, this is see. A lot of times we we don't understand God because we aren't we aren't pursuing Him, and He's filled with grace. The Bible says that He is rich in mercy. Where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. So somebody today, I want you to hear this. Come back to Jesus. Come back to where you. Fell off. Come, just start retracing your steps today. The beautiful thing about this is that, in John, his position is this: that Jesus was accessible. Jesus was available. He was accessible to him. And I want to tell you, Jesus is accessible to you this morning. I failed him more times than I'd like to admit, yet he still welcomes me. He still loves me. He still shows me grace. Oh, I'm telling somebody today that you can come to Jesus. He is not unapproachable like the gods of the world. He is approachable. You can come to him. I remember a few years back, we were in L.A. trying to plant the church, and I was driving Uber uh, for some money. You know, we just, you know, church planting is very expensive, and, you know, it was so tight. I remember some of those nights I'd be driving Uber. And uh, one night I got I ended up at a very ritzy hotel, had a pickup there. And I remember as I'm parked here in, in our Hyundai at the time, our Hyundai, um, nothing's wrong with Hyundai, I like Hyundais. But I remember this, this Bentley just pulling right in front of me, right? Most expensive car I've ever been close to. <laughs> and uh, I'm just looking at this white Bentley. And then the door, it opens, it opens like that, right? It's like different, you know, what do you call those type of doors? 
suicide doors or yeah. It opens like that. And then I see eight security guards, big Samoan guys, football linebacker, Samoan guys come out of this hotel and out steps Drake out of this, this Bentley, right? And uh, they surround him. And uh, you couldn't see him. I only saw him for like two seconds, you know, as he got out. And, and there was a few fans that saw him and tried to come, and those big men did what they were supposed to do. They kept those people from, accept, from, from coming close to, to Drake. I want you to know something. Jesus isn't like the, the celebrities of this world, like the people who think that they're something of this world. He is approachable. You can go to Jesus at any time. He's never turned me down. Like my kids in the middle of the night, they'll come and knock on the door. And there are times I'm saying, go back to bed. But there's been times when I've come to Jesus in the middle of the night. He's waiting there. Somebody needs to hear that today. He's accessible, but he's affectionate. John describes himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He hides himself behind the love of Christ. Everywhere in the Gospel of John that he refers to himself, he refers to himself in that way. There are four times where he does so, and it's all connected to the cross in some way. Here in the upper room was the first time he would do it. Again, in John 19, when he's at the cross, the foot of the cross, in John 20, at the empty tomb, he would refer to himself that way again. And with the risen Jesus at the Sea of Galilee. John knew where he stood with Jesus. He knew that Jesus loved him. And I want to tell somebody again this morning, every one of you in this room, anyone listening online, Jesus loves you. (laughs) He will never stop loving you. Come to Him. Hide yourself in His love. That should be our identity. What God says about me is what I should say about me. He values me. He values you. I'm telling you, everyone in this room, I don't know what you're struggling with, what you've been through, how you were raised. Some of you were raised in homes where there wasn't much affection or affirmation. But let me affirm you this morning. Jesus loves you. He loves you. And He wants to pour His love out on us. He wants us to come to Him when we're hurting. He wants us to come to Him when we're happy. He wants to celebrate our victories. He wants to, he wants to envelop our lives. And I want you to know this, this morning that you can come to Jesus John's position, he was close to Jesus. He was so close, he was leaning on his chest. And I, I envy this. He could hear the heartbeat of God. So close to Jesus. So close to him. He's accessible. He's affectionate. And so the disciples see where... John is positioned and and they request of John to ask Jesus who it is that will betray, who it it was that was the traitor among them. And John asks, he said, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answers. He answers. I want you to, to, to know this, guys. Jesus answers when we pray. 
Sometimes it's yes, sometimes it's no, sometimes it's not yet. <laughs> I got something better. God always answers those who are seeking Him. So He um, He tells Judas, He says, it's the one, it's the one who I hand the bread to after I dip it. And so Jesus proceeds in verse 26 to dip the bread in the juice or whatever it was and he hands it to Judas Iscariot. So we see Jesus, we've looked at John, now we're going to look at Judas and we're almost done guys. Judas. Look at verse 27. Now after the piece of bread, Satan entered him. Satan entered him. I want you to see that Judas is possessed by the devil. This is, this is absolutely crazy. Something happened when Jesus handed him the bread. Was it, it was Jesus' last demonstration of love and grace to him. And, and instead of receive, instead of saying, no, I'm not, he just heard what Jesus said. Remember, John is here. Judas is on the other side. Instead of saying, no, I, I repent. I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. He received it. Sealing his demise. See, the same sun that melts the ice, it hardens the clay. His heart had gotten so hard. He couldn't wait for the moment where he can go and betray Jesus. He received the bread. Judas rejected Jesus for the final time. And it something broke. A barrier broke. It wasn't until that point that the Bible says that Satan entered him. And I don't know what this is. If this applies in, you know, in, in modern day, but I think you can reject Jesus to the point where you have a, a demonic hatred for Jesus. You've seen it. You've seen someone, you even mention his name, they manifest. Because there's a spiritual aspect to it. I've shared this story before, but I had a professor in college who was an evangelist as well, and he was preaching at a church and the pastor said there's a guy who I know is close to death and he's quite frankly one of the worst sinners in our town and he he hates God he doesn't want to let anybody talk to him about God but I just want to try he's I just have a burden for this man would you visit this man with me and so my my teacher professor said yeah I, I would love to and he went and the man is his health is failing and uh, he's on his deathbed. And my teacher gets there and he says, Hey, sir, we're, I'm such and such and I've come from such and such church and I just want to share with you a few scripture. And the man said, Don't you open that Bible here. That was his expression. Don't you, don't you mention that name in here. And he's like, Okay, sir. I said, okay, so is it okay if we pray for you? I just want to pray for No! I don't want any prayer from no preachers. I don't like preachers. So they tried. They tried. His health declined to the point where he had to be taken in the hospital. And uh, as he was passing away, the pastor made, uh, we heard later on, 
that as this man was dying, he kept asking the nurse to, to pull his feet away from the fire. He was hallucinating, or was he? He's like, pull me away from the fire. My feet, they're, they're burning. Pull me away from the He kept asking the nurse, and the nurse was like, there's no fire here. What are you, what are you experiencing? Is it, it, maybe it's the meds, and they just kind of ignored him. But what I think he was experiencing was where he was headed. And you guys, you think, I think sometimes we forget that there is a heaven and there is a hell, a literal place. We're in between now. We're on earth. No one here is in hell. I know I've heard people say this like, you know, I'm living hell now. You know, I'm not, things can't get any worse. No, hell is worse. You say, oh, you guys are one of those churches. You're one of those hell fire. Well, Jesus was that type of a preacher. He spoke about heaven and hell more than any two topics. And I can't, I can't shy away from this. You know, some are going to come because of the love of Jesus. Some are going to believe on Him because of His goodness and His grace. But others, the Bible says, we, we have to snatch them from the fire. We have to snatch them from the fire. Say, hey, wake up. I was reminded of the brevity of life this last week. We were just coming back from celebrating my daughter. She, she did well on her report card. And so I said, okay, uh, what do you want? I'll buy you some sneakers of your choice. Or I'll take you out to eat wherever you want to go. And she chose to go out to eat. And, you know, she didn't let me off the hook. She wanted sushi. The most <laughs> and I was like, okay, that's fine. So we went out to sushi. We had a great time. And uh, we're on our way home. And as we're going home, we, we see an accident scene. And my wife's like, Babe, there's a there's a whole body laid in the street. They just put the the white blanket over them. And I'm like, no way. And I look, and sure enough, someone had gotten hit hit by a car, and you saw the blood stain, and you saw on the white sheet there was blood seeping through. I mean, not to be graphic, but it was as close as you know you could be to a scene of death. And it, it rattled me. Not that I haven't experienced that before, but just something can't get, couldn't get out of my head. For and then now for the last week, I drive that street every day, and I, I looked, and I could see the stain in the street still, so fresh still. Hey, one day each and every one of us are going to check out of here. None of us are exempt for it. Are we ready? To meet our maker. Do you know where you will spend eternity? Hey, the Bible talks about it's better to, to go to a funeral than to a wedding. You know why? Because it makes us think about the things that we try to put out of our mind. It makes us come to the grips of reality that one day we're going to be at the front of the church. It will be people mourning us. You know what I was thought about this week? Life just went on. Cars are just driving over that spot. They don't even realize what happened. And one day you and I are going to die and our family's going to grieve us for a little bit, but life, the world doesn't stop. 
spinning. Life will go on. But for the individual who does not have a relationship with God, it's going to be terrible. Judas, he had all the spiritual advantages that anyone could ever ask for. He had the greatest pastor who ever lived. He heard the greatest sermons ever preached. He watched miracles after miracles. He even performed miracles while doing ministry. And he died by suicide and went to hell. And he is still there. He heard warning after warning after warning after warning and he didn't heed one of them. See, sometimes we think that the profile of those who go to hell are those who are the most wicked sinners. Hitler, murderers, rapists, child abuse. We think that those people. But let's just think about Judas's profile. What caused him to sell out Jesus, reject Jesus? It was the love of money. Hey, we see it today. We see a lot of celebrities selling their souls for fame, for fortune. Why is it that there's so much demonic rituals in the music videos now, in the concerts? Why is it that you can't go to a a concert without there being a portal? Some of us, we let our kids listen to these people who worship the devil. And he's the minister. He was the minister of music. Hey, God help us Christians if we're going to these concerts and just, you see Taylor Swift and, and, you know, you see them straight up doing conjuring uh, rituals, demonic rituals at their concerts. What are they doing this for? Fame, fortune, covetousness. They want that position. God help them. I pray that they wake up unlike Judas. I pray that they repent. And turn to Jesus before it's too late. You can live 70 years here like the rich man did. And and you can have everything that the world has to offer and die and go to hell for eternity. God help them. Judas was demonized and he was dismissed. I won't take a lot of time, but disciples were confused. They thought that Jesus told them to go to go buy something or to 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 give something to the poor, but Jesus had dismissed him. He left the presence of the light of the world. He left the presence of the Savior for the last time. And the Bible talks about that when he went out, it was night, it was dark. See, when you reject Christ, you always are walking into darkness. I want to tell somebody this morning, you are not a body that has a soul, but you are a soul that has a body. You are a living soul. When God breathed into man, he made us a living soul. There's a part of you that's unique, a conscious soul that will live eternity in one of two places, heaven or hell. There's no in between. There's no purgatory. There's no way your relatives could could pay money uh, to get you out of per- No, there's no such thing in Scripture. There's either heaven or hell. And the difference between heaven or hell is that relationship with Jesus Christ. 
He is the way, the truth, and the life. Oh, I heard it this week. A preacher put it so simply. In order to be saved, we must realize that we are sinners. That we fall short of the glory of God. None of us meet God's holy standard of perfection. We must acknowledge that. We must repent of our sin. Turn away from our sin. Say, God, I'm turning to you. I'm turning away from my sinful lifestyle. I'm turning to you, God. I'm repenting of this. I'm changing my direction. And then we must receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior, our Lord and Savior. Now, I I want you to just get it. It is that simple. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's the greatest news that anyone could ever hear. I'm going to spend my life preaching the good news. See, the good news is so much sweeter when you know the bad news. Hey, I can find joy in the deepest of valleys because I know that when I take my last breath, this side of eternity, that I'm going to be with him. So life can throw at me what it may. Hey, being a Christian doesn't make things easier. No, I might make things harder for you. But it's worth it in the end. When we see Jesus. <laughs> Some of you have been to a play before, right? Where at the end of the play, the director comes out, sometimes with the cast, but sometimes on his own or his or own timing. And but when the director comes on stage, the show is over, right? Hey guys, one day the director, King Jesus. It's going to come out of heaven and step on the world stage. And it's going to be over. The age in which we live in will be over. It will not be time at that point to make decisions. It will be too late. You will be, we will be set in whatever decision we've made already. I want to tell somebody today, choose Jesus today. Choose Him today. He loves you. He desires you. Come to Jesus. Hey, Don't let Christians keep you away from a perfect Christ. We're going to fail you, but Christ will never fail you. I want you to know that. Don't let, I know, I know what some of you are thinking. Yeah, my dad said he was a Christian, but he beat me. Don't let imperfect people keep you from a perfect Savior. Don't let a mystery allow you to go to hell. Don't, you may not understand it all, like we talked about in the beginning. I don't understand the Trinity all the way. I don't understand a lot of things about God. But what I do understand is that He loved me enough to send Jesus to die for me. (laughs) And He's got a place prepared for me. 